So it's really important for us to understand how these all intersect and the consequences and positives of how this is going to change our business infrastructure going forward. From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different, sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. What's in a name? Benefit Corporation or Certified B Corps? Are they the same thing? Sometimes, but not always. We recently received back our paperwork from the state of Maine that we are officially a benefit corporation. At the time of this recording, though, we had recently filed with the state and I had a lot of questions and was hearing from listeners a lot of questions about the difference between becoming a certified B Corp, passing through the B Lab certification, and becoming a benefit corporation. So I called on some local experts. Helen Sterling Coburn is an attorney with the law firm Bernstein Schur and has become an expert on helping local businesses navigate the legal waters of becoming a benefit corporation, which is different from being B Corp certified. But we're going to get into more of that later. My other guest this episode is Tara Jenkins of Conscious Revolution. She advises companies looking to use business as a force for good, including those seeking B Corp certification. First, I want to welcome you both to the show. So excited to have you both on. Uh, to kind of kick us off, you know, for listeners who've never heard of benefit corporations or B Corp certification, Helen, can you speak a little bit to kind of what purpose they each serve? Sure. So, um, and, and Tara will obviously jump in as well. But um, the biggest difference between a, a certified B Corp and the B Corp certification process and then benefit corporations is one, the latter is really a, um, a legal construct where the former, so the B Corp certification process is really, um, it's almost think of it like a trade certification. So when you think of like lead certified buildings or fair trade um, products, uh, a B Corp certification is basically saying, these are all companies that have obtained a high level of um, functioning that embraces conscious capitalism, which I know Tara will be talking about more, um, and other principles that enable them to be certified as a B Corp. Part of the B Corp certification process requires that you have certain governance um, uh, provisions in place, certain degree of transparency, which all layer into the legal piece. Um, so a benefit corporation is essentially a legal construct. It's a, it's a corporation that has some special nuances to it um, that makes it a separate and distinct legal entity under applicable state law. So you would have, you know, you have business corporations under Maine law or Delaware law. There's now also a benefit corporation that, um, that again is slightly different. It's just, you've got like an LLC, a partnership, a business corporation and a benefit corporation. Um, and so those are, that's kind of the, we can talk more about what different characteristics benefit corporations have, a little bit later as we as we discussed, but that's high level, big difference between the two. And it's really confusing for people because the terminology is so similar. So I like Ben how you were describing it as a, you know, if we say a certified B Corp, so that's the certification, like the trade piece that Helen was talking about. If you're thinking about organic or lead certified, that's the certified B Corp. And then the benefit corporation, kind of the longer term, is the legal entity piece. 
And they are intrinsically linked, which makes it even more confusing because in the 39 states where you do have the ability to designate as a benefit corporation, as a legal designation, then certified B Corp often requires that of you after a certain period of time in order to embed benefit corporation legal status into your corporate structure. And so they are linked in a really meaningful way. Um, it's just that th we can't do that in every state because not every state has passed benefit corporation designation legislation. So if you were to put it into a Venn diagram, which we can't really do on a, po on a podcast, you can, you can be a, a certified B Corp technically without being a benefit corporation. You can be a benefit corporation without being a certified B Corp. And then there's a big overlap in the middle where you're both. I'm curious, what would be the motivation to be a benefit corporation, but not pursue B Corp certification? Or is that even a thing? Oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um, so the, the certified B Corporation, B Corp um, designation is really rigorous. I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. There is a cost associated with going through that assessment. And it's a third party analyzing your business. And not every single company is comfortable with that piece. Um, so that's one, one consideration. The other is that a benefit corporation, the legal designation, embeds the legal structure and the governance structure of being a benefit corporation into the business, which is really why certified B Corps um, require that that be done in the states where it's allowed, because it's really creating a legacy within the organization of we are here for the common good or for adding value to all of our stakeholders. At any point in time, an organization can more easily say we're not going to recertify as a certified B Corp because that's a voluntary process and a voluntary designation. It is harder once you have moved to a legal status, certainly not impossible, but more difficult once you've legal, changed your legal status to benefit corporation, approve that through your board of directors or whatever your governance structure is to change that. And so many leaders would believe like, I need to, in order to pass the legacy of how I want my business to operate and, and the greater good I want to do in the world, I want to embed this into the corporate structure. And so that's why they would choose to be a benefit corporation. But from a, I guess you could say marketability standpoint. So for companies that really want to say, I'm a B Corp, and you get the B with the circle around it that everyone knows, um, if you are just a benefit corporation, but not a certified B Corp, you cannot use that logo. So you could still go around and say that you're a benefit corporation. It's still, it means that you have these protections and, and requirements built into your articles of incorporation, but you can't market yourself as a B Corp, a certified B Corp. So you just have to be careful with language usage. Right now, I don't think people, many people don't really understand the distinction between the two. So it's probably kind of a moot point. But I think um, as the movement continues to grow, I think I don't know. I guess it could go in two different directions. I don't know, Tara, it would be interesting to see what you think, like whether the certification will still be needed if everyone starts moving towards embracing benefit corporations generally, and this is just the way we all do business, or um, or whether you just start seeing many, many more companies become certified B Corps. Yeah, I think we're going to see many, many more companies use, utilizing both tools probably simultaneously, in particular, because as you know, Helen, even better than me, on the um, benefit corporation side, you have to your your best position to have a third party assessment um, as part of that process, and the the best third party assessment at the moment is being a certified B Corp. <laughs> so I think yeah, they're they're really as we said intrinsically linked. 
And I think um, more and more organizations are just becoming more familiar with this terminology because, as we said, it's confusing to try to figure it out. And I think as they do, they'll, they'll realize that there's power in both using both of these tools. Most organizations that are going through a certified B Corp process are doing it because they really want to improve their organization and they want to continuously improve that and continues to sort of up the ante each time. And the way they can do that is for that third party, that external independent reviewer to be able to tell them like, here's what you need to do next. Here's where you need to go next. And that's a really helpful way to continue to evolve and, and uh, grow your business in, in the direction of, of really for the greater good or, or common uh, purpose. And so I think the companies that are, are automatically and leaders gravitating towards this area will continue to want to use both of those tools. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about benefit corporations and, and what about B Corps? Yeah. So with benefit corporations, it's interesting because they're relatively new. I mean, they're, they're technically newer than the whole B Corp certification process because they sort of emerged in reaction to the governance requirements that were being um, required by B Lab as part of the B Corp certification process. Some of the misconceptions are, I would almost say not so much a misconception as kind of unknowns from a legal standpoint, you know, this, the statute that generally has been adopted in most states. So there was a model benefit corporation act that was created. And then that's what has been substantially adopted in most of the, the 39 states that have adopted it. Um, it seeks to uh, limit liability that a board of directors would have um, in the context of who can bring a lawsuit against them. You know, so, so basically the statutes all require that a board of directors consider stakeholders other than just shareholders when making decisions about what's in the best interest of the corporation. Regular corporate law has basically interpreted um, the fiduciary duty of a, a, board, a board of directors member to be making those determinations um, with a view towards shareholder return at the end of the day. What the benefit corporation statute does is says, no, board of directors, you you still need to consider your shareholders, but you also need to consider a whole host of other stakeholders. You need to consider the um, the environment. So that kind of, from a legal standpoint, that kind of opens you up. Who's going to, you know, who's going to enforce this? Who's going to bring up action? And the statutes all seek to limit that to, to basically shareholders who have who have standing to bring suit against the company and not, you know, random neighbor down the street who may not like the way a company is, is handling itself from an environmental standpoint or something like that. But we just don't know because it really hasn't been tested in court. And the last time I ran, I ran kind of a multi-jurisdiction survey um, from litig a litigation standpoint to see whether there had been any cases and there really hadn't been. So again, it's, I don't know if I would really call it a misconception. It's really just a, an unknown, but it's something that at least in legal circles, people have been kind of raising questions and kind of casting doubts about like, how is this really going to work? And I think we may get that to this later in the program too. But the other, I think, misconception is um, while generally, if you're organized as a corporation and you go through B Corp certification, you have to become a benefit corporation. That's true. But if you're organized as a different type of entity under state law, like a partnership or an LLC, and you're going through B, B, Corp, B Corp certification, you don't necessarily have to convert to a benefit corporation. You do have to bake some of those governance concepts into your, your organizational documents. And so that's um, that's another thing that's sort of related to the legal construct misconceptions. 
Yeah. And I'd say to echo what Helen said, it's not more misconceptions. It's just misinformation or misunderstanding for the most part at this point, because there needs to be so much more education around how these different tools can be utilized. And something that Helen just said, I think is really key because we can think of historically um, situations in companies that were fundamentally sort of conscious or conscious businesses, Whole Foods in the past, as an example, or some even stories in the headlines right now are on activist shareholders, activist shareholders coming up against public companies saying that they aren't doing their fiduciary, so-called fiduciary responsibility to earn as much money or maximize shareholder profit. And in many cases, a benefit corporation status, the legal designation of that would protect the organization from the activist shareholder coming back to them saying you haven't maximized profit because they're legally designated in that case to maximize value for all of the stakeholders. And so we are seeing much more activist shareholder activity. Sometimes that's actually to hold the company accountable for adding value to all their stakeholders, which from from our perspective would be a good thing. Um, But sometimes it's the exact opposite where they're saying the company is trying to do greater good across more stakeholders. It's not necessarily embedded in their legal structure. And so they're being called to accountability on not maximizing profit in the short term, which is the way our financial system works today. So it's really important for us to understand how these all intersect and the consequences and positives of how this is going to change our business infrastructure going forward. And actually, I just thought of another misconception that is actually a misconception, which is, I think some people, misconception based on maybe misinformation. I think some people have thought B Corps, benefit corporations, it means sort of, it's like a nonprofit. You don't, you're not actually, you know, it's just all feel good. You're not, um, you're not actually focused on, on making money. And that isn't, the case. I mean, there's nothing, if you're a benefit corporation or if you remain an LLC and you get B Corp certification, you still have the same tax status. You're not a, you're not actually a nonprofit. You're either a C Corp or an S Corp or LLC tax as a partnership. And, you know, I think I remember a panel with, um, a group of, of, uh, business leaders who've all gone through the B Corp certification process. I can't remember who it was, but one of them was saying at the end of the day, if we don't make a good profit and even a healthy profit, we can't do this whole host of um, you know positive stuff that we'd like to do, and so I think that's just important for people to remember too. Is it's it's talking about a way of doing business on the premise that if we have sustainable and conscious um, business practices, it will actually lead to healthier and arguably more profitable um, organizations in the short term and in the long term. And the research emphatically shows what Helen just said around it does lead to more profits in the short term and in particular over the long term. Um, But I'm so glad you just mentioned that, Helen. That was such a critical point that this is not like kumbaya, kumbaya, like do-goodery type of stuff. This is making profit and determining that the profit is being generated or geared towards solving a worthy problem or a higher purpose in the world other than just making money. And there's a term that uh, I think is used a lot frequently. And I think folks that are in the B Corp movement are definitely for sure familiar with it. You both have used it, it, this idea of stakeholders versus shareholders. And I think for folks that are maybe new to the concept of B Corporations, they might think, oh, those terms are just interchangeable, but they're actually very different. Can can um, Tara or Helen, could, could you speak a little bit to the, the differences and why it's important to make those distinctions? Yeah, uh, I, I certainly can. Um, and Helen, jump in. 
So when you think of shareholders, you can think about that as traditionally how we have thought about the the beneficiaries of um, corporate profit. And those could be owners or investors or in a public uh, company could be an actual shareholder. Um, so that's, that's a, a bucket that we're kind of accustomed to thinking of the reason the business is in existence. And we would certainly say that this isn't true, but this is the way we've been sort of brought up to think that the reason that business is in existence is to make as much money for those investors, owners, or shareholders. But really, when we think about it, there is a whole bunch of other stakeholders. Shareholders are a stakeholder in and of themselves. But the other stakeholders are things that we people that we do naturally also talk about, but not necessarily as stakeholders. Employees are stakeholders. So they have a vested interest in the business that they're working in and also receive value from that business. Um, and hopefully that's mutual. And then you also have um, customers or clients, depending on what you call them. So, so the three that we talk about most often as stakeholders are our employees, our customers, and our investors or our shareholders. And those... We often think about them as you have to trade off benefit between the three of them in order to to do the best for the shareholder. So if you have to increase the price to the customer, that means that the shareholder might win, but the customer loses. If you have to increase the benefits to the employee, that means you have to increase the price to the customer. So it's kind of like this zero-sum game where something gets taken from each of the stakeholders in order to win is the way that we've been taught to think about it. And now let's broaden out the pie. There's more stakeholders that we often don't think about. So the community is a stakeholder. And the some, we often talk about in conscious capitalism, the competitors are a stakeholder. And you also have the environment or the earth as a stakeholder. And your suppliers as stakeholders. So all of these entities have a vested interest in the success of your business and are also impacted by what your business does. And then the other thing is when you think about adding value to all of those stakeholders, which is something that a benefit corporation and a certified B Corp would both be striving to do, then you're trying to not exchange value between them, but add value to all of them in some way. And so that's really the stakeholder orientation that we're talking about. And you might hear it termed, because this is super confusing even more, is it's also called stakeholder capitalism. So when we're talking about certified B Corps or benefit corporations, conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, these are all just different names of the same thing in order to have businesses work for the greater common good uh, in our world and solve some worthy problems that we believe businesses are in the best position to solve. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that other than, you know, from my my legal perspective, a shareholder is 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 just that. They just have a share of the business. So you could have an employee who also has, you know, either a stock option or has exercised their stock option and actually owns stock in a corporation, so they're now also a stockholder. But there it's it's when you think of it, it's someone who actually has an ownership stake no matter how big or small in a company. Um, and so that's, you know, broader than just shareholder, I guess, if, if it's an LLC, it's a membership interest or a unit of the LLC. Um, and so it's really just referring to that little, little piece of ownership that you have. Whereas as Tara's just gone through, um, which I won't, I won't repeat the stakeholder is just, it's a much, um, broader set of people. That makes a lot of sense. And so when we talk about, uh, B Corp certification, I mean, what businesses can pursue B Corp certification? Is it open to any and all? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, you have to have been in business for a year 
So that would be one constraint <laughs> that that um, would be the case. Um, but there's no size requirements, and you have to be a for-profit organization. So you're like a nonprofit would not be able to apply. But as long as you've been in business for a year, you're a for-profit entity. Anyone can apply to go through the assessment process. So this is interesting because we actually here at Deergo are going through becoming moving from being an S corporation to a benefit corporation. What are some like what are some of the big differences aside from what we've already established? Like, okay, so we're making this commitment, which we feel super great and excited about, but are there tax implications? Are there legal things that that opens you up to? So um, I just was about to Google you on the Secretary of, of Maine, uh, Secretary of State's uh, website to just sort of see. So if you're an S-corp, you are probably already organized as a corporation. And I say that probably because you can technically be an LLC and elect to be taxed as an S-corp. But if you're converting from a business corporation that's taxed as an S-corp to a, to a benefit corporation, your tax status doesn't change. You're going to stay an S-Corp. And all you're doing is from a corporate standpoint saying, we're amending our articles of incorporation to say that we are a benefit corporation and we are adopting section 18, let's see, title 13C, uh, chapter 18, which is the Benefit Corporation Act um, that has basically these requirements that your board of directors consider these stakeholders when making um, uh, making decisions. It requires that you prepare an annual benefit report that gets filed with the state of Maine and is made, um, if you have a website, made publicly available on your website. But other than that, it, it largely refers back to the Business Corporation Act. So there's a lot that's still going to be similar and govern, you know, your shareholder meeting process, your board, your board meeting process, the Maine statute or whatever state you're in, assuming if there's anyone from out of state listening to this, um, generally we'll say, you know, you have you have to provide shareholders with a notice so that they know there's a shareholder meeting. And the Benefit Corporation Acts generally punt to the, that other um, legislation. So you're still it's still very similar to a business corporation. It's the biggest differences are what I um, kind of talked about at the beginning, which is the mandate of the board of directors to consider other uh, stakeholders, the fact that in your articles of incorporation, you're going to articulate that you one of your purposes of, of existing and of operating is to generate a, a general public benefit. And you can, you can, but are not required to, to name a specific public benefit. So for example, if you're an aquaculture company, you know, it may be kind of ocean centric or, you know, there may be something that is, um, that is kind of unique to the, to what your business purpose is that you also want to specify in your articles. Um, and then these greater transparency requirements with filing the annual benefit report and, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's for the specific situation that, that you just mentioned, which is we're an S corp and we're converting to a benefit corporation. If you're organized as a different type of entity, so a partnership or an LLC, and you want to convert to a benefit corporation, that might have a different answer. And I am not a tax attorney and I am not an accountant. So I would encourage anyone in that situation to confer with your accountant. Um, but that could have a consequence because if you if you elect to convert from an LLC or a partnership to a corporation under state law, uh, whether benefit corporation or otherwise, you you can no longer be taxed as a partnership. And so you would have to be taxed as a corporation. And depending on what your tax picture is, that could have, 
a significant tax impact. And so you'd want to have have an accountant look at that. And and I think in part for that reason, B Lab doesn't require a partnership or an LLC to convert to a benefit corporation because there is a tax consequence as part of the B Corp certification. So you can you do have to amend, you have to make some legal changes to your organizational documents. So if you're a partnership, you have to change your partnership agreement to basically require that the general partner of the partnership consider stakeholders, you know, the things that you would have as a benefit corporation. But from a legal construct standpoint, it's a little bit different. And I guess the only other thing I would say is if you already have, I've kind of taken it from a simplistic um, uh, viewpoint, but if Let's say you're a corporation that has 50 stockholders um, and you want to convert from a business corporation to a benefit corporation. That requires a vote of basically a supermajority of those stockholders. So it requires two thirds of your stockholders to elect to convert to to a benefit corporation. Yeah, and I think what Helen just pointed to, as well as the approval of the board of the directors, is sometimes the two biggest obstacles for both of these initiatives, whether it be to become a certified B Corp, which often requires, you know, board engagement in some way and will change some of the processes within the organization um, to becoming a benefit corporation, which has a legal entity requirement where they would have to approve it. Um, in my experience in working with CEOs, those are the two obstacles that they're trying to figure out or the two challenges or opportunities, whatever word you want to use, um, of really trying to embed this within the business, but um, often they have a mix of leaders on their boards that may not understand exactly the reason why the CEO or the leaders want to pursue this. And so it, it usually takes sometimes a very eager and excited CEO a little bit longer to talk um, and help the board and the people that need to approve this understand why, why it's important. And that, that can take a little bit more time than um, I think most CEOs expect. I think that's fair. I think what's interesting is by the time you get to the legal piece of it, um, in terms of actually changing, usually people have already started that B Corp certification process. So things come to me where it's usually the, it's almost the shareholders, because usually the board has at least made some sort of initial determination that like, yes, we want to explore this B Corp thing. Let's find out more information. Okay, what actually is required? Um, and so you may still have to win over some of the board members, but but it's really by the time you've initiated the B Corp certification process, it really kind of comes down to the shareholders and their vote. And it's also important to remember once you've elected that, you can go back to the regular, uh, like from a legal standpoint, once you've become a benefit corporation, you can always go back to either being a regular business corporation or an LLC, but that also requires that supermajority vote. Um, and so that helps to, to a point that Tara raised earlier, that helps um, insulate the board of directors. It helps protect the company from a perhaps significant shareholder, but not super majority shareholder who may be exerting pressure for the corporation to do something else. That makes a lot of sense. So it makes it harder to make drastic changes, which is the point, right? Like right. that if you're going to do good, it's like do good for the long term, right? Exactly. Um Here's a question. So the so we've been speaking specifically about benefit corporations here in the state of Maine. Is it different state to state or is it all pretty much the same or is there any federal legislation? So there's no federal legislation. Um, as I was saying earlier, there is 
Um, there was Model Benefit Corporation Act that was adopted, and most of the states have adopted something pretty similar to that. Um, Delaware, the state of Delaware's is a little bit different. I'd have to actually pull it up and look at it to kind of tell you some of the, the bigger differences. The fact that Delaware has it is great. Um, I'm trying to think of others. I haven't done like a um, 50, 50 state survey or 39 state survey in this case to kind of compare the different statutes. But my general sense is the majority of them have adopted something that is almost word for word, the Model Benefit Corporation Act. Yeah, that's my sense as well. And I think that each of the states has has done something different, not in the how the legislation is written, but then how they actually inform, educate, and uh, sort of rally around the opportunity to become a benefit corporation. And so um, here in Maine, we have many um, sister, you know, sort of states or neighboring states that are a little bit ahead of us in terms of having more certified B Corps and also more benefit corporations. And so we've been able to, to look to them as models for how do we get more education out? How do we help the Secretary of State understand how to position this? How do we help attorneys who may be getting questions from their clients around what is this benefit corporation thing and how do I become one? And the attorney has no education around how to do that in their particular state. There's a lot of things that need to happen in order to have this all come together to create the infrastructure that we're looking for. And it's all happening. Um, but we are just learning from some of the other neighboring states that are a little bit ahead of us in this process. That's right. Because we just got benefit legislation in 2019. Correct. September 2019. It was passed. Yeah. After that had been like the third try, but <laughs> it finally passed. <laughs> it, I know it's not easy to get B Corp certified. We've just gone through the the process. It took us a year just to finish the B impact assessment. Uh, and we haven't even started the, you know, actually working with B labs yet to get feedback and actually going through that part of it. Um, but can you speak a little bit about the rigorous nature of, of the certification? Because I think a lot of folks just, you know, might see the logo somewhere and like, oh, that's a neat idea. But they might not actually understand what really goes into it. Yeah, um, happy to. And I think the greatest thing that people could do is um, what B-Lab, who is the sort of mothership organization that does the certification process, just because we've been using that term. So B-Lab, if you go onto their website, you can do something called the business impact assessment or the BIA. And you, if you are a business owner and you're just curious about this, this is a free tool that you can go through. And it gives you a sense of the amount of rigor that you have to go through in order to be certified. And so it asks you questions based on the buckets of the stakeholders that we reviewed before. And you get points designations for your ability to um, prove, so to speak, that you are um, meeting some, you know, all or some of the requirements. And it's, it's pretty quick to be able to go through and do a fast assessment to sort of see where you land. And then what you have to do is then kind of really hold yourself honest. And I had had someone mention one time, like, I held up my hand to myself and be like, can I really certify that this is true? <laughs> um, and so often when CEOs go through it, they'll come to me and say, well, I got a 75. You need an 80 to submit. Like, I got a 75. And I'm like, okay, did, did you do the hold up your hand thing? And like, are you sure it's a 75? And then go back and do it. Or then ask your employees. <laughs> ask someone else in the organization. Because sometimes... A CEO has a little bit of rose-colored glasses on. And once you go through the BIA and you're able to substantiate that you can get to, to 80 points, which each, each particular measure is worth a, a different amount of points, 
then you can submit to B-Lab to go through the process that you just mentioned, Ben, where there will be, an, so for lack of a better term, assessment or audit of what you have submitted. And so then you're going to get lots of questions. So you can think of it as like the SEC coming in to do an audit or any anyone other, you know, scary audit people. I mean, the B-Lab people are super nice, but but they're still trying to hold you accountable and make sure that you are doing what you say you are doing, because that's a really important part of the credibility of the assessment. So there's, um, you know, the, the work that you have to do, as you said, which takes a lot to pull together and sometimes to create the different answers and different practices and policies that are in the business impact assessment, then you submit that. And then there is another rigorous process where B-Lab is analyzing and asking lots of questions, doing their inventory, doing their audit. And then you can expect that your points that you submitted are going to come up shorter as a result of that auditor assessment than what you originally submitted, because from their standpoint, you haven't proven that you're actually meeting that requirement. Um, because they're adding a lot of rigor into that process. And then then you might have to go back and, and continue to work and resubmit. Um, and if you end up getting over the 80 points after that assessment, um, congratulations, you are certified B Corp. And then you have to recertify in three more years and get, you know, have addressed some of your goals that you've set initially. So this is that we were talking about before, this continual improvement, continual um, evolution of the business. That's what the process is designed to do. So I was talking to someone earlier today and it sounded like within their company for the, the first time they went through it, the CEO was very involved and the CEO remains very involved, but they also have basically two employees who, when they went through their recertification, I mean, it was like most of their job for a substantial portion of almost a year to kind of go through. So, I mean, it's a significant time commitment and there are, um, many groups that will help with that. So there's consulting firms that will help with um, companies trying to navigate the, this process. And because some of it entails revising your employee handbook or thinking through different structures and how you want to set things up. And um, and so it it ends up becoming a pretty fulsome um, and serious process for companies that are going through it. Speaking of which, I feel like locally here uh, in the state of Maine, both of you have become kind of leaders in in that regard of you know, benefit corporation and B Corp certification resources, if you will. I'm curious, how did you both kind of find yourselves uh, in and amongst this work or what drew you to it? So I've been involved with Startup Maine, which does, I, and I work with a lot of startup companies and sort of my day-to-day, um, my, my day job, which is a lawyer at Bernstein Sure. And I, but in kind of volunteering with Startup Maine, I helped put together a lot of the program content for our annual conference and one of the panels that I helped organize actually in 2019 was um, essentially a panel. It was a two-part panel focused on on B Corps and, and sort of conscious capitalism. And I had already been interested in it, put together the panel, literally while we were in, in the midst of the panel. I think it was you, Tara, or someone in the audience was noting like, this just got passed last night, <laughs> which caught me a little bit on my heels because I hadn't been tracking the legislative process because it got it got passed in the summer. And then the, the statute went effective in September of that year. So this was 2019. And so, you know, just with some of the clients that I work with and then my just natural interest with this, it just um, it just really grew from there. And then once you start getting familiar from a legal standpoint, once I started getting familiar with the statute, I think there's a lot of questions about it and a lot of interest in it. And to the extent um I've kind of emerged in this space. I think it's just, it's kind of grown out of my sort of support and natural interest in it. Helen's the go-to attorney for, 
for B Corps for sure. Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, and for me, I have about 25 years of experience working in human resources and all sorts of uh, organizations. And what I saw in lots of those organizations were, were leaders really trying to do their absolute best in, in almost every case, but also so much opportunity to do more. And, and they're really not being an infrastructure, a set of principles, philosophies that the organizations could be following and the leaders in those organizations could be following. And so that's really what attracted me to the conscious business movement overall, of which benefit corporations, certified B Corps, stakeholder capitalism, conscious capitalism, all of those sort of alphabet soups are a part of. Um, and so what I decided to do um, once I left sort of the, the corporate HR realm is to work with CEOs and founders to build conscious businesses in all the different ways that we've talked about and choose the path that is best for them for and their organization at that time, but really all meeting towards the same end of adding value to stakeholders and really thinking through how you want to have your business impact the world in a greater way. And so, of course, there's no more fulfilling work, in my opinion. And also, I really do believe that businesses are in the best position to solve the worthy problems. Nonprofits are limited by in in many ways to be able to do that. Government is limited in many ways to be able to do that. And businesses have both the people resources as well as often the financial resources to put towards solving some of the biggest problems that we have to solve. And there are plenty of societal problems to solve. Um, and so I believe it's businesses that are going to be able to do that much more so and in, co- in collaboration with nonprofits and government, but much more be in the driver's seat to be doing that. And I, I feel very fulfilled to be able to play a role in doing that. That's great. And thank you both for, for sharing that. Um, Tara, let's change gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about conscious, about the conscious revolution, if you will. Uh, what does your work with businesses look like and what does the path to building a conscious business look like? Yeah. So Conscious Revolution is a company that I started. It's a consulting firm that I was just mentioning. Um, And I work with business leaders. First, how it starts is they usually come with some interest in what we're all doing, what we're all talking about here. And they usually are confused (laughs) uh, because of all the reasons we've talked about here, too. It's, It's kind of confusing. It's a newish movement. It's been around for about 15 years overall. And so, you know, we're undoing a lot of training um, and, and sort of common societal understanding around what businesses are in existence to do. But many of these leaders have a feeling that there is a different way to do it. And they've decided that they want to embark on that different way, but they don't actually know how. And so they're coming to me to say, well, where do I start? What does this all mean? Um, and many of them have often been practicing some of the elements of being a conscious business like we've been talking about here, but without necessarily knowing the names of it or the framework of it or, or what, what they should call it. And so that's usually where we start is, is what's really calling them to do the work that they're doing. And that would be the higher purpose of their business. Um, and that's really a foundation of any of the conscious business movement that we've been talking about is what is your higher purpose beyond profit? Um, and so as Helen was mentioning before, profit is a critical component because you can't actually do good in the world without having money to do it with um, in the case of a business. But um, 
that needs to be articulated in a meaningful way. And so that's usually where we start with businesses. But then we'll be looking at culture, be looking at leadership, be looking at the stakeholders and the orientation and relationship to stakeholders, as we've been talking about. Um, and where you do the stakeholder piece is really where you're thinking about the business's impact on the environment or the earth and the business's impact and relationship with their suppliers. And you're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion um, as part of your culture. So that's all the work. It's really organizational development work, but with a particular goal in mind of making sure that the business is operating for the greater good and solving a worthy problem in the world. Are there instances that either of you have encountered where conscious capitalism businesses proactively choose not to pursue B Corp certification? And and if so, why? I feel like you may have touched on this a little bit previously, but if there was any more you wanted to add to that. Yeah, sometimes for me, it's a timing thing for my clients. So um, it may be, and, and I don't encourage clients to jump right in with both feet on on doing being a certified B Corp and going through the process with B Lab that we've talked about. Because it is, we've talked about really rigorous. It requires a lot of resources sometimes, uh, financial certainly, and then people resources as well. Um, and what can happen if an organization hasn't fundamentally embedded what we're talking about here, embedded that they have a higher purpose, that they're building conscious leadership, that they're deliberately building a particular culture and, and through their, that culture, they're um, creating certain people practices and, and policies within the organization and they're thinking about their stakeholders. They can do all of that without any certification process or without any benefit corporation designation. And that's really where I encourage them to start because what this is all about is authenticity and being genuine about what you're trying to do. And if you're building all of that foundation, then when you get to the point where you decide that you want to be a benefit corporation or a certified B Corp, it's smooth and it flows. Your board is on track. Your shareholders are on track. Um, if, if you're trying to do it without putting that, that those fundamental principles in place, it becomes, it can become kind of like going through an audit or assessment or a checklist rather than being really meaningful. And so I ask my clients to really consider why is it that you want to pursue that? And what is the right timing to do that strategically for your business? Whatever that is, if it's a benefit corporation, legal designation, or a certified B Corp um, would be would be the primary considerations that they'd be making. And if if it's at all a hint for them that they want it for the reason that Helen was talking about before, primarily like, I really want to have that circle with the B, <laughs> that label, that's probably not going to sustain them through the process. <laughs> because what you, when you talk to, and many of the people you've talked to on this podcast, Ben, you can see that there's genuine, authentic desire to be a better company and to have a greater impact in the world. And so when that's the case, all of this flows very easily. And naturally, they will determine at the right um, point in time when they want to do certified B Corp or, or a benefit corporation or both. Um, but if they're doing it to be part of the club, to be showing the label, to kind of do the purpose washing, greenwashing, washing thing that we're all familiar with. Um, people see through that. And particularly the stakeholders that work most closely with the company, the, the employees and the customers see that. And it will, it will, uh, create a problem for the credibility of that organization. So they really need to start to walk the talk first. 
um, and um, sort of put put their resources and their money where their mouth is in terms of what they're prioritizing within the organization, and then think about well, what else do we need to do to demonstrate that externally? And then it will come easily. So I guess like maybe not pushing back, but just kind of. Um, I agree with you, Tara, like the purpose of doing the B Corp certification should not be to get the, the essentially a license to the trademark that you can use. Um, but I do think it's an effective mechanism for helping, you know, consumers, vendors, other stakeholders essentially identify like, hey, this is a company that's met a rigorous standard. And I was listening um, to a talk recently, and I won't call out the company on the on the podcast, who was talking about like that certification was important for them because they were doing these things. They were talking about their sustainable initiatives and they had a competitor who was saying essentially the same thing, but they knew that the competitor was not really doing the same thing. It was, it was an example of sort of the greenwashing or whatever, <laughs> whatever the phrase is. And by them going through the certification process, they're able to kind of show that they actually do meet these standards and can distinguish themselves from, from competitors because there is rigor to that, to that process. So that's, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny too, because well, I won't say a lot, but we've, we've definitely had, we definitely have had guests on the show who are certified B Corps who are like, it was super easy, you know? And then you look at their, their businesses and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's so clear cut, you know, it does, it, it makes sense that it would be easy when you have all your ducks in a row and you're doing the do. Yep. Yeah. Well, oh, no. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Alan, go ahead. I'll give you another example of where a company might be interested in these things and maybe doing good things. And I, you know, may not have done the B impact assessment, but may, if they did do it, may score pretty highly. Um, but it's an example of not necessarily having shareholders on board. And so when you think of like some of the companies that I work with that are going through, you know, rounds of, of capital raising with VC investors or things like that, it's who are you bringing to the table? Like think, think that through when you're thinking of getting your business set up. Tara was talking about some great infrastructure things, but even who you bring to the table as your investors and those partners can really make a difference. On the flip side, I've seen a company that's um, a, a benefit corporation receive capital because it's from a VC fund that primarily invests in benefit, you know, that looks intentionally to invest in benefit corporations. But there is, because it's a relatively new thing, like B Corp certification has been around for about 10 years and main statutes, you know, call it two years and change old. Um, and in other states, it varies, but none of them are, are older than about 10 years. Um, you know, I think there's still a number of investors who are kind of getting up to speed on what this is and are still a little bit wary about whether they want to be investing in a benefit corporation and you need their vote. If, if you've already got them at the table, you need their vote in order to, to convert to a benefit corporation. So. Speaking of which, Helen, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about your advising work and what are some of the common mistakes made by businesses during the benefit corporation process? Yeah. So um, my advising work in this space, so I've been pra a practicing lawyer for um, about a decade now. Um, but uh, and like I said, I do a lot of work with startup companies, with uh, with businesses in various stages of development. Um, my work in this space has been relatively new. So as I was saying, my interest um, was 
kind of aligned with when the statute was adopted. But my interest in the business practices, I you know, I, I think the business underlying business practices are um, great, and I think my my interest has long predated my awareness of like a benefit corporation statute or, or B certification. Um, but given where I practice law and how new the statute is, they're really. Um, there's limited examples that I can provide. I've done a number of these now, um, but it's not like I've seen a ton of mistakes in terms of how people are setting it up. I think um, to to Tara's point, I think making sure that people are going into it with their eyes wide open and this isn't, this shouldn't just be sort of a superficial thing that they're doing, but really ingrained in the DNA of the company. And I think by converting to a benefit corporation and actually hard coding that into your organizational DNA, so to speak, you're, you're taking that, um, you know, appropriate steps to kind of accomplish that goal. Um, but the reality is, like I said, the statute went live in September of 2019 pandemic hit in March of 2020. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've helped with, at the time that it went live, Tara and I actually did a presentation. Um, and at that point I was like, full disclosure, I haven't, you know, I haven't incorporated a benefit corporation. I haven't converted one statute went live a week ago. Um, uh, the first, actually the first benefit corporation conversion was Allagash and that was done by a different firm. So I, I mentioned that. Um, but since then, I've done, I think, definitely over a, over a half dozen that I've been involved with. Yeah, so there's not, I guess, really one bit of advice that I have kind of been giving people is um, you have to articulate a, a basically the, the public benefit purpose in your articles of incorporation. And you are allowed but not required to articulate a specific public benefit. And which again could be environmental focused. It could be focused on helping with whatever whatever your specific purpose is. Um, I've done some research with other jurisdictions and kind of looking at this and knowing kind of how corporate law functions. Um, and my recommendation is usually, unless you are really committed to your specific purpose and know that you know your organization will always have that specific purpose, maybe not include it because if you want to change it in any way, shape, or form that requires a two thirds vote again of your shareholders. Um, and so by, if you spend, you know, hours crafting this perfect message and then your business pivots and now you've got to revise that, then you're going to have to go out. And even if it's just an administrative burden to change that, you know, you, you have to, um, you, you basically have to file an amendment to your articles and that can, that has costs associated with it and that sort of thing. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. How do we spread awareness about benefit corporations? And B Corps, right? I mean, I feel like there's so many, I mean, for folks who've never heard of B Corps, like they think, you know, what, what is that? Like some big business thing? Like what, you know, like how, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's more things like this, Ben. So thank you for, for holding the podcast. Cause I think that's, we need to do as much sort of public awareness campaigns as possible um, to help people understand. And it's the type of thing that you have to hear a number of times, I think, in order to have it sort of fully digested, just because the language is pretty confusing and overlapping. And there, there's been people that have been involved in the movement for quite a while, though I know it took a while to, for it to click, like, oh, benefit corporations, the legal piece, and certified B Corp is is the third-party assessment. Oh, okay. Um, 
So, and if you're not working in it all the time, and it's a pretty evolving and fast changing movement where lots of things are happening. So I think we just need to keep having ongoing conversations about it. There was also an effort, and I think it is going to be fully successful to, at least in Maine, have the Secretary of State's website have more education around a benefit corporation because the legislation went into effect. And as Helen said, then basically the pandemic hit and there really hasn't been an opportunity for people to understand what's going on. And the best avenue for that is at the point where you're going to either register your company or think about changing your company, where would you be going to get that information at the Secretary of State website? And so could there be more education in that sec- in, in that area um, to help people understand? And then there is a conscious capitalism group um, in the state of Maine and in many other states across the country where people come and learn about the elements of conscious capitalism, which are, are again, same principles that we've been talking around being a certified B Corp. There's also in many um, states, including Maine, a group of employers that are certified B Corps that come together and talk about um, how they get the word out, how they spread education, how they help employees and consumers find them to Helen's point, because it really is an important um, way to designate or or determine who you might want to work for or wh- which products you might want to buy, sort of voting with your time and voting with your dollars. And so I think um, in Maine, I'm particularly interested because we have so we have a number of certified B Corps, but we have a number of um, companies that are also certified B Corps that aren't registered in the state of Maine. And so when you look at across, we have a lot of opportunities for um, consumers, particularly summer visitors that are walking around our downtown um, to be deciding to go into shops that are certified B Corps instead of um, others. And, and I, I say that kind of uh, joking, but but it's important to also note that there are many companies that don't go through either one of these processes that are great companies that are also following many of these principles. And they just choose for whatever reason to not pursue any of these designations that we're talking about. But we do have many companies in Maine that are that have been doing this work for years and years, far, be, far before any of this movement was in place, um, that we can look to as models for, for how they've really changed their culture, really practice conscious leadership, uh, valued all their stakeholders. And um, it's really, they're, I think, the inspiring companies that we need to follow. Yeah. And I would say, so to pick up on one of the threads that Tara mentioned, there is this working group that was um, that, that was working to get legislation passed that was just supportive of providing more information about, um, about benefit corporations specifically in the state of Maine. And I think um, that definitely has legs. I, as I understood it, it at least passed, uh, yeah, I think it passed com- completely. And so now it's a matter of implementing and figuring out who the group will be to help um, put content together and, and things like that. And I think Tara and I have both sent emails and um, and been somewhat involved in that process. And I think um, I would say as I've gotten to know companies and other people involved in conscious capitalism, B Corp certification and benefit corporations. It really is. It's a fairly tight knit group. Like once you kind of get in, you get introduced to other people and um, that helps spread the awareness. And I think if that sense of camaraderie continues, which I hope and I'm inspired that it will, because I think that actually is just, it all kind of just supports the whole B Corp movement generally. Um, you know, I think that will help continue to spread the overall awareness. 
Last one. If you had one piece of advice for any and all folks interested in pursuing B Corp certification, what advice would each of you give? And Helen, if you want to kick us off. I would say um, kind of dovetailing on what I was just saying about the community is draw on the resources that are around you. It's, you know, for people that have gone through the process, everyone that I've talked to has been more than happy to kind of share what their struggles were or what their triumphs were. Um, There's a tremendous number of people who are supportive, you know, of the process and, and are there to kind of help provide advice. So don't try to go it alone, draw from the, the community around you. Yeah. And for me, I would say, and I'm completely supportive of what you just said, Helen, uh, I would add to that, be really clear about why you're doing it and be really clear about what you think it will take to sustainably uh, commit to doing it from um, both a leadership perspective and a resources perspective in your organization. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, head on over to responsiblydifferent.com to check out the show notes. If you're enjoying this content, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other folks just like yourself find this content. And next time on Responsibly Different, I sit down with Andrea Chase, the Director of Corporate Responsibility and Social Impact for the international health and wellness brand Arbonne. Get your fizz sticks ready, folks. It's going to be a great episode. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Deergo Collective. Claire Clausen is our project manager. Jeremy Glass is our writer. The music is an original score by our very own Kevin Oates. And I, Ben Marine, am your host and editor. To learn more about Deergo Collective, visit deergocollective.com.